Good morning. I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. We begin today with the stalled attempts on Capitol Hill to pass another round of coronavirus stimulus. On Tuesday, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell warned, without any further relief, the country's economic outlook will remain bleak for the foreseeable future. But last night, President Trump sent mixed messages on Twitter. First, he ordered an end to negotiations altogether. Then, he tweeted he was open to some sort of immediate relief for airlines and small businesses, but not through a larger package. Congress has already passed four rounds of relief, totaling $4 trillion. And that's through a combination of grants, loans, and tax breaks. Collectively, this has been the most expensive relief effort ever in American history. And this is kind of remarkable. The Washington Post notes that's more money than what the U.S. spent on 18 years of war in Afghanistan. But the question remains, has the money been well spent? According to the Washington Post, well, not really. And to be clear, no one is saying the country doesn't need help. Individual workers and businesses are suffering. Both Republicans and Democrats agree the U.S. needed the stimulus money to get through the pandemic's initial economic shock. But what this analysis is also finding is that the money wasn't necessarily spent in the right ways or given to the most deserving. For example, only a fifth of stimulus money went to individual workers. That's real people. Half of the money went to businesses, and as the Post sees it, a lot of those businesses didn't really need government help and in some cases were not incentivized to use that money to keep people employed. Take the CARES Act. That's the largest of the four relief bills that were passed by Congress this year. Under that law, companies could apply for tax breaks. And the Post's analysis finds companies in industries that were actually doing well during the pandemic, they were still eligible for government bailout funds. One insurance giant, Manulife, is eligible for $54 million in tax refunds. A medical equipment maker, Owens & Minor, is eligible for $13 million, even though the company's business is not hurting right now. One grocery distributor, United National Foods, has seen revenue increase by $1 billion this year. Its president recently was boasting about how well the company's doing— And still, it applied for a $28 million tax refund under the CARES Act. Or just look at the Paycheck Protection Program, you know, PPP. Mm -hmm. That program was supposed to give loans to small businesses to help them keep workers on the payrolls. But in many cases, the businesses that qualified did the opposite. They used that money to pay for severance packages. The Post notes, more than 210 hotel owners received PPP funds, and most have yet to rehire their laid-off staffs. The Post also found money didn't proportionately flow to the states and sectors most in need. For example, the virus hit New York hard in the beginning, and the city is still feeling the pandemic's economic devastation. Mm -hmm. And yet, fewer than one in five small businesses in that state were approved for a PPP loan, compared with Nebraska, where more than one half of small businesses got the loans. The problem, according to the Post analysis, is that this isn't a normal recession. In a normal recession, you can throw a lot of stimulus money back into the economy and expect things to somewhat stabilize. But this is a recession in a pandemic. In order to save the economy, the government also needed to throw enough money into public health measures to get the pandemic under control. In the last relief bill, the one passed in April, Congress approved $25 billion for COVID testing. 
a lot of that money actually hasn't even been spent. Yeah, and in the most recent negotiations, the ones that just got squashed, Democrats called for $75 billion for testing, contact tracing, and other treatments. But Paul Romer, who is a Nobel Prize-winning economist, says even that amount of money is not enough. He tells the Washington Post, the government should have earmarked at least $100 billion for testing efforts alone. He says it's a waste to spend money stimulating the economy without also restraining the spread of the virus. There are these two houses in Ohio, only about a 23-minute drive away from each other. One's in Cleveland, the other's in the suburbs. Bloomberg Businessweek says they tell two very different stories about how the pandemic is affecting the economy and the widening gap between renters and homeowners. Kalei Gaithings is a renter in Cleveland, but she recently lost her job as a nursing assistant during the pandemic, and she fell behind on her rent. Her eviction hearing played out on Zoom. You might have heard about a nationwide pause on evictions during the pandemic. That moratorium is in place, but Gaithings wasn't covered by it because she wasn't receiving government assistance. The Zoom hearing lasted for less than five minutes, and she was forced to leave her home. Just around the same time as Gaithings' Zoom eviction hearing, Nathan Hodge and Erica Schulstadt were in the process of buying a home in a Cleveland suburb. They paid more than $300,000 for their new home. That's more than the asking price and more than twice what the previous owner paid in 2011. One's a software architect, the other's an engineer. So they were able to keep their jobs while working from home. The Census Bureau surveyed 9.8 million renters in September and asked them, how likely is it that you might get evicted in the next two months? Almost half said, that seems likely. When they surveyed homeowners, less than a fifth of them said they had similar concerns about foreclosure. And that's happening because in the COVID economy, homeowners are feeling more secure, while renters are feeling more at risk, more likely to lose their home. Cleveland went into this pandemic as the poorest of the 100 largest U.S. cities. According to Bloomberg, in many ways, the city's still recovering from the 2008 financial crisis. One thing that could help renters, like Gaithings right now, is more federal assistance. The CARES Act provided money for a nationwide rental assistance program, but it's starting to run out of money. The CDC announced a national pause on evictions. But according to the Cleveland Housing Court in the city, that moratorium only delayed about a dozen evictions. This week, a wildfire in California reached gigafire status. That's a new record for the state. The gigafire burned more than one million acres. That's larger than the size of Rhode Island. It's burned through three national forests and stretches across seven counties. The LA Times explains this all started in mid-August with a bout of lightning strikes, more than 12,000 strikes in 96 hours. That's what started several wildfires in Northern California. And in the following weeks, nearly 40 of those fires merged into what's now the largest wildfire in state history, what's known as the August Complex. Lightning strikes usually cause fires in remote areas. But this year, we're seeing lightning spark blazes in more populated locations as well, like the Bay Area. Firefighters said there just weren't enough resources to fight all the fires at the same time. So they focused on urban locations and deprioritized rural ones. This allowed the August complex to grow larger and larger. 
The LA Times explains there could be an important lesson here. Some scientists say the unintentional neglect of this fire earlier on is showing us what it looks like when a slow-growing wildfire is left to burn naturally instead of being suppressed by firefighters. The August complex is burning more slowly and less intensely than other fires. Instead of burning up everything in its path, this fire makes it likely that larger trees will survive, which anchor the whole forest ecosystem. And if it keeps going this way, if the August complex burns up brush and overgrowth while keeping large trees intact, it could make the case for controlled burns and slow-growing wildfires to play a bigger role in forest management. And now it's time for another installment of What's Your Excuse? Did you know more than 4 million people have already voted in the 2020 election? According to the United States Elections Project, that's 50 times more than the number of people who voted at this time in 2016. Now, based on early turnout, the Elections Project is predicting we could see the highest vote since 1908. One of this year's early voters is a woman named Beatrice Lumpkin. She is 102 years old, and she tells CBS radio station WBBM that she first cast her ballot in 1940, and since then, she has never missed an election. Lumpkin told WBBM voting is especially important to her this year. When I was born, women couldn't vote, and second, because it's the most important election of my life. Even the pandemic was not going to stop her this year. So Beatrice threw on a hazmat hood. Her grandson made it for her. She got some gloves. She walked out of her home and she headed out to drop her ballot in the mailbox. So if a 102-year-old can do it, so can you. Keep in mind, this week, voter registration ends and early in-person voting begins in dozens of states. To find out if yours is one of them, check out our Apple News Voter Guide. We have tons of information broken down by state about key deadlines and how to make sure your ballot gets in on time. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.